The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. It's a new feel, for sure. And I think when I came here, um, the first thing everybody says is, hey, Mar, it's, it's different. You're going to love it. You know, the, the culture different. The coaches, um, everything, uh, you know, is, is not the same. So um, I think that was definitely one of the reasons why, you know, um, it was definitely appealing for me to come, uh, to come back here. Um, and, you know, why not? Marvin Jones was with the Jaguars, now back with the Lions. I'm old enough to remember when Marvin Jones was the rookie on the Bengals during hard knocks who had a concussion during training camp and just, you know, came across as just this nice young kid that you'd almost want to adopt. Like it just that was the moment where I realized I'm getting pretty damn old, where these these guys who are grown men playing on NFL teams that I just say, oh, he just, he's just like a, a, he's, you know, he just needs a hug. So anyway, I've always liked Marvin Jones and he's been around for a while now and he's, he's been around long enough that he's back in Detroit voluntarily because they've had a shift. And look, this is another team that has been owned for decades by the same family. And what's happened? I, I say this all the time as it relates to the possibility if you keep passing the equity from family member to family member, inevitably someone is going to have the cup who doesn't know how to properly hold it, and it's all going to just be a mess. Well, I think what's finally happened in Detroit, after being passed from family member to family member who did not know what they were doing, now Sheila Ford Hamp is getting it done. She's figured it out, and it's working it's working. There was that moment last year where it was very tenuous. They were one and six, and she was starting to say the kinds of things we've heard in the past from members of the Ford family that were always a precursor to everyone getting fired. But it worked this time, and it really has changed. And the problem has been they have not had the patience, Miles, to give whatever regime they bring in enough time to really work. They didn't give Jim Caldwell enough time to really work. Why? Because the GM, Bob Quinn, was hell-bent on hiring his buddy, Matt Patricia, because they you know, this happens. They work together in New England, and they sit around eating pizza late at night, and they have these visions of a future where they're running the show, and this is how we'll do it. And so Quinn wanted to have Patricia, and, and it was too much of a dramatic shift culturally, and they didn't give it enough chance to work. And now they, they've given Dan Campbell enough of an opportunity to turn it around, and it feels like they are. So it is possible for... A, a team owned for decades by the same family to eventually stumble into a situation where one member of the family gets the keys to the car and inexplicably knows how to drive it. Yeah, Cardinals fans. Which is an appropriate metaphor. Appropriate metaphor, oh, given that uh, Ford, Ford yeah. Henry Ford and 
all that. Yeah, I see what you anyway. did there. Yeah, you're you're making you're you're doing a lot of uh, connecting here with the wordplay in these first two segments, Mike. I see what you're doing there on a Friday. No, I I think that there's a lot to be excited about if you are a Lions fan, right? I mean, going into this season, it's kind of weird to say this because they are the Lions, but if the Lions don't make the playoffs in 2023, it's it's going to be a disappointment. Right? Based on the way they finished last season, based on the way that we know Ben Johnson has that offense humming with Jared Goff and they're doing some really good things. They've picked up guys like uh, David Montgomery in free agency. They bring um, uh, back Marvin Jones after they lose DJ Chark in free agency. Yeah, Jamison Williams, who's up and coming first round pick last year, still recovering from the knee injury for most of the season. Amon Ross St. Brown, a really, really good young up and coming receiver who we've talked about a little bit before but I still don't know if the country at large kind of understands how good he is. You got Khalif Raymond, another guy who had over 600 yards. Josh Reynolds had three touchdowns. They've got a full complement of weapons on offense. They've got a good young nucleus on defense led by Aiden Hutchinson. These guys really should be able to make a little bit of noise. And, you know, when Marvin Jones walks into the building again, and he's, I'm sure he sees people that he knew who are on the staff, you know, in that building. And just, guys, I'm sure it had a different feel because the old rocket scientist isn't running the thing anymore, right? You've got somebody in Dan Campbell as a head coach. You've got somebody in Brad Holmes as a general manager. Those two guys really seem to know what they're doing, and they have built a team that now has to take that step forward, and I think there's reason to believe that they will. Yeah, I agree with you completely, and it will be a disappointment if they don't make it to the playoffs this year when you consider the flux in that division, the Packers, Mm -hmm. Who knows? And hey, maybe Jordan Love's going to be great right out of the gates. Maybe he's going to take that snippet that we saw on a Sunday night in Philadelphia when Aaron Rodgers left with injury and run with it. And the Packers will be as good as they've ever been. And they'll complete the awkward three by 15 year relay race from Favre to Rodgers to Jordan Love. And it's all going to be perfect once they get past the, the fact that Rodgers is gone. But still, this is the opportunity for one of these other teams, the Bears or the Lions, to rise up. And it feels like, and I, I, it doesn't feel like it, it's reality. For 50 years, I've been following that division closely. There's never been a time when both the Lions and the Bears were really good at the same time. Never. <laughs> never. And it feels like both the Lions and the Bears are in position to kind of take over that division and send the Vikings and the Packers to the bottom of the NFC North. But, but this is a great opportunity for the Lions, and they are going to be carrying the burden of expectations this year. And they're going to be a team that I think when the schedule does come out in a month or so, we're, we're going to be surprised by the number of, of standalone games they have beyond the one that they get every year when uh, Thanksgiving Day gets started. So uh, fun times for the Lions. And you mentioned Amon Ross St. Brown. The world first became aware of him, and I won't forget this ever because I spoke to him about it after it occurred. When the Vikings and the Lions were playing, and I think the Lions were winless at that point, and the Lions were driving for the game-winning touchdown, and the Vikings decided to cover the back of the end zone, not the front of the end zone, and uh, uh, made it easier for Amon Ross St. Brown to catch the game-winning touchdown pass as the Vikings players were standing around looking at each other, and Mike Zimmer was fired at the end of that season. All right, let's move on to the Dallas Cowboys, a team Mike Zimmer once worked for as defensive coordinator. They are doing what they can to improve their offense. A year after they, in hindsight, shouldn't have let Amari Cooper go via trade to your Cleveland Browns, Miles. Brandon Cooks was acquired via trade. Well-traveled, like Marvin Jones. Cooks now in Dallas. And there's an issue with and a question about how the great receivers coexist. Cooks has been the alpha wherever he's been. C.D. Lamb is the number one guy currently in Dallas. Brandon Cooks, appearing on the Adam Schefter podcast, said this about C.D. Lamb. You're talking about a guy that's been electric since the moment he stepped into this league. But you look at last year, what he did to really just go into that mode of a true number one receiver. I've got a lot of respect for him from afar. And I hit him up and said, look, I'm coming in to help. There's no ego. Same thing with Michael Gallup. Uh, And uh, he, he, he thinks both guys have no ego. And that's the right attitude. The receivers have to work together. There's a healthy competition. There's an unhealthy competition that happens. And when you cross over into that diva, I need the football, you get upset with the quarterback, you have issues on the sidelines, 
Um, there's resentment among the players. Who got more passes? Who got more targets? Who got more catches? Who got more touchdowns? That's, uh, that's a problem. So Cooks is coming in with the right attitude. And he's got to just be thrilled to go from one of the worst teams in the NFL over the past couple of years to a team that's in a position to contend. He's got to be happy coming, coming in. The he's been thrown a lifeline. And he didn't even have to leave the state. And he's still paying 0% income tax. So Cooks has every reason to say all the right things. He's never been a problem anywhere he's been. It really is weird how this guy's been hot potatoed around from team to team when he hasn't been like a Terrell Owens type personality that would give anyone reason to say, we just got to get rid of this guy. It's just kind of happened that, that every team that's had him has decided at some point we got to move on. Yeah, it, it, it is kind of weird. And, you know, I got to know Brandon Cooks a little bit in that 2018 season when he was with the Rams and I was still on the team covering the team. And it, he, I don't think that he does have much of an ego. It was one of the things that made that receiver's room work so well that year between him and Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. And Cooper Cup, of course, got hurt. But man, that's one of the reasons why they were able to advance to the Super Bowl because they had such a partnership between those three guys and just the way that they were able to function within the offense with Jared Goff. It worked very, very well. But the story of Brandon Cook's career is, is really interesting because it's not like he's ever been bad. I mean, he's been in the league nine years, six of those years, he's had over a thousand yards. But when you go from the Saints and to New England to the Rams and now to the Texans and then to Dallas and all those via trade, it's like, well, wait a minute, what's wrong? I don't really think that there's anything wrong. I think it's just that you get to a certain point and you're like, eh, do we want to really pay this guy? I don't know. Yeah, look, he's going to be good on our team, but is he going to be great? I don't know. I don't know that Brandon Cooks has ever been dominant, and maybe that's why teams have found ways to move on from him, even though he's good. And I think that he will work well alongside CeeDee Lamb. And I think he does give Dak Prescott a really good second option, right? And, you know, maybe he's a third option if you want to say Michael Gallup is a second. But it's just an odd way to compose a career. But I think Brandon Cook still has something that he can give the Cowboys and make that offense better. I mean, really, Cooks would have been a hero and possibly MVP of Super Bowl 53 if a quarterback who I won't name, lest I be accused of throwing strays at him, had seen him earlier when he was wide-ass open in the back well, of the end zone against hit. the New England yeah, Patriots. Look, we can say, I mean, I Am would I wrong? maybe have a Super No, you're not. I would have a Super Bowl ring instead of a loser ring if, you know, Jared Goff, I'll say his name, had actually been able to diagnose cover four and... You know, the play against cover four worked that Sean McVay called, and it just Jared Goff had a lot of trouble diagnosing zone that day. So that just is what it is. Do they give you a real ring? Do they give you a real ring or like the the scaled down cheaper ring? Oh, it depends on which one. It's usually a little bit scaled down, but I mean, it's still a real. The size is the same, but some of the materials that are made within it are a little bit different, which I do know because. Some of my friends who still work for the Los Angeles Rams got one last year, you know, so there, there's a difference between the, the big boy ring and then there's another level of staff ring and then there's a, another level of staff ring a little bit lower than that. At least that's the way the Rams did it last year. You're talking about the ring from last year that had the two Super Bowl trophies on it to acknowledge the one that the team won in St. Louis. Is that what you're no. referring it's to? The two palm trees, Mike, and you said that they didn't acknowledge what they were doing in St. Now, Louis. Now, look, 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 Miles. When they there begin are two banners awarding in SoFi the, Stadium. Can I, can I say something? When they start giving out palm trees to the team that wins the Super Bowl, then I will accept the presence of palm <laughs> trees on the Super Bowl ring as signifying championships won. But I don't think, I'm not sure, I'm not sure we're usually working at the end of the Super Bowl and processing all the information. I don't think Joe Namath puts white gloves on and carries a palm tree out to the commissioner. But, but I, can, I can go back and watch the tape from this past right, year. Yeah. I, did, you see the, did you see the I, – I, I thought – this was funny too because I, Peter's usually on Fridays and I go ahead and make this comment. He didn't seem to appreciate the XFL St. Louis Battlehawks April Fool's gag where they, where they oh, had yeah. the phony announcement that they were moving to L.A. and they tracked the actual language from the announcement made by the Rams – Peter said, who thought this was funny? Well, I did. I thought it was hilarious, as April did Fool's you? Day go- jokes go, which, which, yeah, I thought it was hilarious. Now, there may have been some people in St. Louis that didn't appreciate it. I thought it was cheeky by the Battlehawks 
to take a little a little jab at the Rams, the team that lied and lied and lied and lied to the people in St. Louis before moving. And you know they lied and lied and lied and lied before they moved. You weren't the one telling the lies, but you know they lied. I have no comment on that, but uh, I okay. do will say that I did not think they're that not going to the... come take your ring. I <laughs> I don't I, I didn't really find I mean I find April Fool's Day stupid in general, and I, I said on Twitter I'm like that's not I didn't really find it funny either. So I don't know, maybe because I lived through it, but like, that's not, I don't think it's funny to like threaten, you know, to take away a team, even if it is a joke, having lived through what I lived through. And as a wee lad in Cleveland, when they took my franchise and moved it to Baltimore, now they're the Ratbirds, and, you know, then living what I lived through in St. Louis, I had a lot of empathy for those fans and what they went through. I don't know. I just, I didn't find it funny either. Well, I I thought it was great just because usually the April fool's day jokes are not good. Like, the other one this year was the Steelers saying that they were signing Snoop Dogg, which was just like, come on, just don't even. It's just there, there is an option for none of the above. You don't have to have an April Fool's Day joke. You can always say, we'll just wait till next year. Um, and and I still get, I still get texts and emails from people who want us to reprise our, and you were. A teenager when we used to do this we stopped doing it in 2007 because the problem is as we grew and grew it you just can't pull it off anymore because if it's unless it's so ridiculously over the top that no one would take it seriously it, it there's nothing good that comes from it because people fall for it people believe it and so we just stopped doing it. We did it the first few years we existed but we, we had to get away from it because and, and it's just annoying it and and as somebody now who who operates a media outlet that tries to stay on top of everything happening in the NFL, I don't want to be fooled on April Fools. I don't want something that's so good I pass it along to the audience as true. And so uh mm-hmm. I, I am definitely in the get off my lawn camp on April one. Yeah, me too. But I mean I'm in the get off my lawn camp on a number of things. Like this is number zero. Come on. Oh my gosh. Enough with the number zero. I mean, I understand, but like, you know, uh, I just, I want the positions to have the numbers. I just, I just want the positions to have the numbers that they are supposed to have that they they've had since I grew up having them. And like, now we got to figure out all these different numbers and people got zero. We got this, we got that. And like linebackers wear number nine. And I just feel like Tom Brady on this whole thing. And I'm still on this and whatever. I got to get over it. Did it bug you when they changed the rules when you were like 12, 13 to allow receivers to wear numbers in the teens? Did that bother you? No, because I wasn't really that aware of it. That didn't, that didn't, that doesn't bother me as much. I mean, and I, you know, I remember that. I mean, when was that? Because like, when like Keyshawn Johnson, it was like 2000 that he got, he, he got in under some old rule that, that they didn't have the number available for him in the preseason, mm. or they maybe didn't even have it in the regular season. So once he and then once he got it, they let him keep it. But it was it was about two thousand two, two thousand three, because Larry Fitzgerald came in as number eleven, and I think it yeah. may have been Larry Fitzgerald's rookie year where they changed that rule. I remember thinking, I really don't like this, but I'll get used to it, and I did. So by the time they expand the the numbers available for different positions and go single digit. Like I just, I don't, I don't care. Cause we see it in college football. I, I don't That's care. True. Now I don't like zero as it relates to double zero. I think double zero is badass. Why zero? And Jeffrey Lurie said something this past week, suggesting that next year he'll be inclined to throw double zero out as another potential number, but I'd much rather go double zero. You've heard my double zero I had a double zero jersey when I was a kid. I've told you this, haven't I? It was I like my so. prized possession. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, would, was, I would rather. We, we wore. Like, what, what's next? Let me tell Triple my story. Numbers? In case. Okay. Yes. Why not? Who cares? The number uh, doesn't make the player. The player makes the number. Hell, just put your social security code on your jersey, and then someone can steal your identity while you're out there running around throwing up the peace sign if you're Tyreek Hill. The number doesn't matter. That's why I'm a big believer in Aaron Rodgers not wearing Joe Namath's number. Just why? Who cares? Wear a different number. It's not the number. It's the player. So anyway, I'm fine with whatever they do with numbers. The numbers don't really matter all that much other than to allow the officials to know at first glance who's eligible and who's not eligible. That's the only reason to have 
the differentiation between the numbers. And I'm not going to tell my double zero story now. The moment has passed. I'll tell it another day. I've told it before. I'll tell it again at some point. Let's take a break. When we return, we're going to recap some of the biggest stories of the week that was on this Friday edition of PFT Live. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. If you're going to do that to Mac Jones, does it signal, all right, then we're in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes? Or are you going to go Bailey Zappi? And I do think that locker room is split. Somebody who used to play for the Patriots, and I asked, could you find out sort of how that feels in the locker room? And when he came back to me, you know, probably four days later, he said, there's a lot of support for Bailey Zappi. But that doesn't mean they're ready to turn the team over to Bailey Zappi. Bailey Zappi was a great college quarterback, put up a lot of yards there. But you spent, a, you know, the 15th pick in the first round on Mac Jones. Like, you can't whiff on that. Dan Patrick with some thoughts on the Mac Jones-Bailey Zappi situation. Look, here's the bottom line. Bill Belichick was asked at the end of the season, is Mac Jones your starter for 2023? The response was, Mac Jones has proven he can play in this league. Then last week at the league meetings, Bill Belichick is asked about quarterback competition. However it was framed, the bottom line is there is one between Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. It was awkward last year. It's rooted in the fact that Mac Jones was expected to entrust his career development from Josh McDaniels to the Frankenstein monster of not offensive coaches, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. And it was a disaster. It was a mess. And Mac Jones, not willing to be a Stepford Patriot and just smile and take it. He made it known privately. He didn't quite make it known publicly, but he was not happy with the way things were going. We saw it very publicly on the sidelines and have a feeling we're going to see the video of it soon, of the F-bombs that he was just throwing around at anyone and everyone. By the end of the season, he had had enough. He was mad as hell, Miles, and he was not going to take it anymore, and he let everyone know about it. So it's dysfunctional. It's ugly. It's messy. Grab bag time. Weekend review. Take your pick. Who deserves most of the blame for the current situation in New England between Mac Jones and Bill Belichick. Oh, it's totally Bill Belichick. And I I just want to acknowledge the fact that I have seen Networks, so I actually understood that reference, even though it's a movie that premiered before I was born. But when you're talking about this uh, whole thing with Bill Belichick and Mac Jones and you got Matt Patricia involved and Joe Judge involved, I mean, I think it really bears repeating just how ludicrous this was as a concept where you have a defensive coordinator who was a failed head coach taking over as offensive line coach and like the offensive play caller and Joe judge, who was a special teams coordinator and had one season as a wide receivers coach and then was another failed head coach. And you have him leading your quarterback's room. That that's ludicrous. After he was with Josh McDaniels, who is regarded as one of the better offensive minds in football. You know, this is a second year quarterback who you're trying to make into your franchise guy, and that's who you have him set up with, I think that that was wrong. 
right? And if it had not been Bill Belichick, then that person who set that up probably would have been fired because that was ridiculous. But at the same time, I think it's unbecoming of Matt Jones to like do a Logan Roy type F off, you know, when he's like shooing away the play calls when you're in the, like, don't you, that's not, that's not good, a good look on the field, right? When you're on the sideline and you're doing that kind of stuff, you know, if that's uh, Jalen Hurts or a Patrick Mahomes or even like Josh Allen and Joe Burrow, I think that we would have had a different sort of level of criticism for that than we had with Mac Jones because it was the Frankenstein monster that he was uh, coaching him offensively. But it's just, it's not a good situation. And somehow they've got to either smooth that over or maybe they won't. And Mac Jones will end up playing somewhere else. Well, I think by the time that Mac Jones started blowing a gasket on a semi-regular basis, we knew where the source of the dysfunction was. And it was the network moment. I am mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Let me tell you my network story real quickly. Oh, boy. Uh, this is not something I'm, this is not something I'm proud of. I love Brian oh, Cranston. Big fan of Brian Cranston all the way back to Seinfeld when he was Dr. Tim Watt. Like, I've read his book. Uh, I can't remember the title of it, but it's the Brian Cranston memoir or memoir if you're feeling uh, a little fancy. So I, 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 I used to travel a lot more than I do now, and Jill and I were in New York for something. I can't remember what it was. It was in the off season. It was probably a, there's a thing that we do in May every year where you get together with the sponsors and you have dinner and you do all that. So it's been several years ago, at least four years ago. Brian Cranston starring in Network on Broadway. And oh, the, here's, here's, here's rule number one about going to any Broadway show. Do not go to the show on the day that you have traveled because once you have gone through everything that goes along with traveling, you know, getting to the airport, lugging your, your bags in and going through oh, it and no. getting on the plane and living through the stress of the, the aborted landing and, and getting through LaGuardia into your hotel and you check in and the adrenaline wears off the moment you sit down. We were front row for network front row. And I fell asleep. So if I ever meet, I'll say from time to time about certain people who I don't know who they are. I wouldn't know him if he came up and kicked me in the balls. If, Mm. if I ever meet Brian Cranston, he will probably have a flash of recognition that you're that, that guy that fell asleep in the front row while I was trying to, (laughs) and that was you. And, and Jill was like, kept nudging me. I could, but I was like one of those moments where you're just physically, physically impossible. I could not stay awake. And it's the show was great. But I, it was the circumstances. I was exhausted. I, the batteries were dead. Anyway, that's my network story. Uh, so oh. much for us being ahead of our time that we have available for today. <laughs> but uh, I was awake when he said the famous line, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And he may have been talking about the fact that I repeatedly fell asleep in the front row <laughs> of the show. Okay. Uh, so, look, I think everybody deserves blame here. And you're right. I don't think Mac Jones has accomplished enough that he should be walking around dropping F-bombs during a game, no matter whether he has justification or not. And I got to a point where I kind of had enough of the Mac Jones acting like the punk routine. And I think a lot of other people may feel the same way. So I and I think Bill Belichick feels that way. I mean, Sims and I were talking about it earlier this week. The idea and I didn't know about this, that that Mac Jones was calling Alabama, basically saying, can you help me with this rudimentary crayons and and uh, popsicle sticks offense that we we have here so uh that pissed off bill belichick and and i know that uh my my report that belichick was shopping him uh, sparked some people calling it gronk called it fake news and okay gronk when when i saw what he said to back it up there was nothing there it was just i don't think it happened okay uh well i don't i i mean what kind of a rebuttal is that i don't think it happened do you know it didn't happen and I've seen people trying to report it didn't happen. I mean, the reality is with Bill Belichick, there's a certain amount of tiptoeing on eggshells that you'd better do lest you be on the wrong side of Bill Belichick, whether you're a team that was called, because we know how vindictive he can be when you, you dare to speak the truth, when you dare to do anything other than say nothing at all. So it's fine. I, I trust what I've heard. I trust my source on this. I've been plugged into this whole dysfunction long before anybody knew it was dysfunction. And the dysfunction is still there. Whether Mac Jones is being traded or not, the dysfunction is still there. And actually, from our perspective, Miles, it's better if he stays because it's going to be the gift that keeps on giving all through the 2023 season. 
Well, if he tries to cuss out Bill O'Brien on the sideline like that, Bill O'Brien will just cuss him out right back. I think we know that about Bill O'Brien and some sideline things that he's had in the past with a quarterback who's accomplished a little bit more than Mac Jones. Yeah, but I wish my – I think Matt Patricia's the kind of guy who would have said at some point to Mac Jones, want to see me make a pencil disappear. And, uh, (laughs) you know (laughs) – Whoa. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, next topic, please. <laughs> that's not that. That's not that bad. I'm not. I mean, it's, it's you know, giving a little <laughs> dark night, giving a little dark reference from the dark night. Just trying to show you that that unlike you, I am aware of the movies that have been made both during and before my okay. lifetime. Uh, OK, fill in the blank. The Ravens refusing to answer questions about Lamar Jackson at the pre-draft press conference on Wednesday was what? Uh, Mickey Mouse BS, and it's something that I don't really expect from the Ravens organization, which, I mean, I think we regard pretty highly in NFL circles, right? I mean, this is not just one of the best organizations, best run organizations, we like to think, in the NFL, but in all of sport, right? I mean, I mean, you've got somebody in John Harbaugh who's been there forever. Eric DeCoste has been a part of that front office forever. They understand how to answer questions, and so it's not – just that they're not acknowledging him. But when a PR staffer steps in and is like, no, we're not doing those kinds of questions today. Look, the only story that matters with the Ravens from now until it's resolved is Lamar Jackson. And when you have the general manager available to you to ask questions and Lamar Jackson has publicly revealed a trade request, even though he's a free agent and he doesn't have to request a trade, weird as that is, set that aside, I I think that it's a question that should be asked of the general manager. And Eric DaCosta can just, you know, decide, hey, I want to answer it this way. I want to answer it that way. And he did that. He's a grown man. He can do that. But I think, you know, to be like, oh, we got to ask questions about the draft. We got to ask questions about the draft. As if they're going to sit there and reveal their draft plans. Come on. That's Mickey Mouse stuff. That, that's not something that's becoming of the Ravens. I expect better from I think what I think what took it next level was to have their PR guy, Chad Steele, intervene. Like, these are grown-ass men who have been questioned by reporters over and over and over again. They're capable of saying, yeah, you know, we've talked about Lamar Jackson a lot. Uh, Nothing's really changed here. And if you want to use your time talking about Lamar Jackson, that's fine with us. If you want to use your time asking us about the draft, that's your prerogative. We're here to answer your questions. But you're not going to get anything from us on Lamar Jackson that's any different from anything we've already said. That's a better way to handle it other Absolutely. than having someone protect these guys who, I mean, and John Harbaugh, we, we had some fun with this on the text chain and it's been 30 plus years. I think we can, we can have some fun with it. Now we were referring to him as Stuart Lockwood. And if you don't know who Stuart Lockwood is, Google it because that's what Harbaugh looked like. I mean, he just, I I felt bad for him. And he's always been kind of caught in the middle of this. And I think he's tried to stake out territory where he is in the middle of this. And it makes me wonder, did Lamar Jackson deliberately pick Harbaugh's press conference at the league meetings as the moment to make it known to the world that he'd asked for a trade because he feels like Harbaugh isn't doing enough to help him get his contract? Because at some point, you got to look at your coach and say, what are you doing here? You can't be Switzerland on this, coach. You're either with me or you're not. If you're not supporting me, then you're against me, and you're being kind of passive-aggressive to act like it's not your call. You're the coach of the frickin' football team. Anyway, he had that moment where Chad Steele is running interference for those guys where it looked like a hostage video for for uh john harbaugh and it just it was it was just a it was a bad look it was a bad yeah, look but but mission accomplished they didn't get asked about lamar jackson and after the reporters got chastised they didn't ask about the report that odo beckham jr had gotten an offer they didn't ask about Darius slay saying he was almost a raven they really did stick to the script and only asked draft uh, draft related questions Oh, they did. They did definitely ask quarterback questions. And so there was still some more information that came out there, like the fact that they say they basically have to consider a quarterback in the first round. You know, Eric DaCosta saying that, you know, we have a couple quarterbacks on our board that are in the top 31. So, yes, that means we would consider a quarterback there. So, I mean, there were ways that they were able to ask about the quarterback situation without just asking about Lamar Jackson directly. But that was kind of the silly thing about that question is that if, they just let it play out, then it really wasn't about Lamar Jackson. It was how Lamar Jackson affects draft plans, which is a fair question and is in balance. But Mike, on that that uh, timing with Lamar Jackson 
and the John Harbaugh media availability at the league meeting last week. I mean, I was standing right there as Harbaugh comes and he sits down and that tweet comes up. I mean, the timing was way too convenient to be coincidental. And at, at, at that time, Harbaugh said, I don't think Lamar Jackson pays that much attention to what's going on here. And with Lee, maybe he doesn't, but somebody in his orbit absolutely did because there's no way in the world that that was just a coincidence. It, there, that timing was far too perfect there. And if it was a coincidence, it was a big coincidence that was an argument that elaine once had with rava on the elevator are there big coincidences or small coincidences i believe there are i believe there are no coincidences i believe that there are no coincidences and this one would have been one hell of a coincidence if Uh if that just so happened that as as john harbaugh is sitting down to answer questions extemporaneously from the media the bomb is dropped that Lamar Jackson is asked to be traded. All right, buy or sell. The Panthers are all in on Bryce Young. And here's how we set the table on this. Chris Mortensen was on ESPN earlier this week, and he said Bryce Young is the pick. They all love Bryce Young. Now, apparently, I got a text from somebody not with ESPN who I didn't realize Moonlights or Moonlit or whatever works on the side uh, for ESPN PR saying that, that – Oh, that was just a mock draft they were doing. I mean, I don't care. He said what he said, and I saw it on a different site, and maybe the, the other site misinterpreted it, but they all love Bryce Young. Um, that, 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 you know, look, that tells me something. And there's, that noise has been out there. When the Panthers traded up, what's it been, three, four weeks ago to number one, the knee-jerk reaction was C.J. Stroud is the pick. The betting market reacted dramatically. Peter King pointed out earlier this week in Football Morning in America that there are people in that organization that really like Bryce Young. And, and uh, you know, if I don't care if it's a mock draft. If it's an insider, if it's a reporter, and he's going to say Bryce Young is the pick, then, then yeah, uh, there's, there's something there. The guy's been doing it forever. There's something there. If Chris Mortensen is willing to say in a mock draft setting – that the Panthers, when the choices are anyone they want, are going to take Bryce Young, he's hearing something from somebody to make him think that. So I buy it. I'm really starting to think that Bryce Young is going to be the guy, and I'm starting to think that it all traces back to the owner of the team. Because, look, I know that the owner is never going to say, thou shalt pick the guy I want, but the owner has a way. When you have that kind of money, just think about it. Allow yourself to ponder what it would be like to have that kind of money and power where everyone is hanging on every word you say and interpreting at every possible level the meaning that you may be trying to pass along in the most nonchalant of remarks. It doesn't take much for David Tepper to make it known where he stands in the Bryce Young versus C.J. Stroud versus Anthony Richardson versus Will Levis versus any other quarterback that they could possibly take at number one. Look, I mean, all you got to say after the dinner that you – I mean, they've been going around. They've been meeting with the quarterbacks, right? before their pro days and all, you know, uh, the owner would have to say is that was the best dinner we've had. Don't you think? And like that, that's about as simple as it needs to be because then it tells you where the ownership is thinking or after the workout, that's probably the best workout we've seen, isn't it? So it, it, it's that simple where it can be okay. That's kind of the directive from on the top all the way down. And like you said, you don't have to directly say, I want Bryce young. Now he could do that. And that's fine. It's his team. He gets to do that if he wants. But it could be as simple as just whatever the remark is. It's like my favorite saying, who will rid me of this meddlesome priest? You don't actually have to say somebody go and get rid of this guy. You just ask questions. You just make a couple statements. And that's all it really takes. So if it's Bryce Young that ends up being the pick, great. I I still believe that you don't make a trade all the way up to number one without being let's say 95 to 99% sure of who you want to pick. Even if there are two guys you think you like at the top of the draft, I mean, having gone through what I went through with the Rams when they went up for Jared Goff and they were still kind of like trying to waft and say, Oh, it could be Wentz, It could be Goff. It could be one of those two guys. They, they made that trade knowing that they love Jared Goff because you don't do that without having some kind of strong conviction in what it is that you feel uh, can, or the player you feel can be the leader of your franchise. So if that's the way they end up going more power to them, I think it would certainly be an interesting thing to happen at the top of the draft. Yeah. I think the whole Jared Goff, Carson Wentz thing was Jeff Fisher trying to put on a good show for the league. He had very deep ties to the league office and he didn't want to ruin 
the suspense when the time comes out or the time comes, excuse me, for the commission to come out with the card with the first pick on it. And for the Panthers, it's more organic. It's real. And it can either be an offhand comment about, boy, I, uh, Bryce Young, I was really surprised. But that was a, that was quite a meal. I really learned a lot. I'm really impressed. Or it could be they come away from an interaction with C.J. Stroud and David Tepper just kind of like, but that was kind of surprising or that was odd. It's, it doesn't take much. When you are somebody who is worth $17 billion, and but for the recent arrival of the Walmart moguls in Denver, you were the richest owner in in the NFL, it doesn't take much for someone to glean what you're thinking from the things you say, unless you're able to pull off complete and total detached, disinterested. But why are you there then? You're going to see human beings are going to show at some point what they're thinking when there's two choices and you ultimately got to pick one or the other. At some point, there's going to be something that David Tepper says or does that allows the people who work for him to realize which way he's thinking and if they're smart, they're going to act accordingly. Uh, or, well, or, that- or if they're not willing to gamble with their careers, they're going to act accordingly. Let's go with the guy the boss wants. Because if we go with our guy and it blows up, not only does he say, I told you so, he also says, get the hell out of here. Uh, right. But I, I, I don't think that that means that he's not going to allow people to do their jobs, right? I, I think that you don't spend the money that he's spent on hiring a Frank Reich, on hiring a Jim Caldwell as well. I agree. You know, Josh McCown as the quarterback's coach. I mean, this is – David Tepper has been singularly focused on finding a franchise quarterback. So, you don't hire those guys to not trust their expertise when it comes to looking at quarterbacks and finding somebody who can be that guy for you. So, I, I don't think that it's all going to be, okay – I'm David Tepper and I'm making this edict and, you know, whether you interpret it my yeah. way or not, blah, 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 blah. I, I think that there's there no is still a level of respecting the opinions of the guys that he's hired. That's right. You don't have to order the code red, but you trust that the yeah. people you've hired will figure out to do the code red on their own. And, uh, and if they don't, then you start having doubts about them. That's, that's really the takeaway. I'm never going to tell them not to pick the guy that they want but if their instincts are different than mine, that's the first moment where I start wondering, do I have the right people? And then you pay attention to the guy you wanted and how he does in Houston mm-hmm. versus the guy they took that they wanted and how he does in Carolina. And it becomes just part of how the billionaire views his employees as time goes by anyway. That, that part that's of it is fascinating because, again, yeah. we've got these multi billion dollar football operations are ultimately ruled by one person one person not a board of directors not a corporate hierarchy one person who decides any given day what he or she wants to do with the team all right we need to take a break trey lance putting in some work with someone who knows a thing or two about playing and playing well in the nfl we'll talk about that next here on this friday edition of ps5 There's really one thing we got to talk about. Travis Kelsey trying to guess all of the NFL head coaches. That ended up making waves around the internet and swept the nation. Yeah, I felt pretty Um, bad. It was a very small picture on a computer. It's kind of blurry. I really couldn't see clear pictures of the faces. I've shook a lot of those guys that I said I didn't know. I've shaken their hands. I don't care what anybody says. Josh McDaniels did not look like Josh McDaniels in that picture. Bro, and I feel terrible. I see the man twice a year. I mean, it was a bad photo. It's hard to tell NFL coaches without coach gear up, especially in a blurry, grainy photo. You can see me like looking into the sun the, looking into the sun would you have missed any of the three that weren't there Vrabel, oh, I, I know Sirianni, Sirianni Sirianni that would you don't know Nick might, Sirianni but if I you know Josh win, if you I know win, Josh if you would have went 0 for 3 I know Josh Philadelphia Eagles coach I know Stefanski I know these guys dude if you would have went 0 it was for the three, picture if you could have blended in do you even watch me play what do you watch Eagles games all I watch Chiefs games all the time a lot of coaches actually reached out maybe not the head coaches in the photo they were like Travis remember me <laughs> Travis Kelsey clean up on aisle five and I, I'm, I'm sorry Travis we love you but that was clearly Kevin Stefanski that was clearly yeah. Kevin Stefanski and he drew the blank of all blanks when he saw Kevin Stefanski he said there's no way that effing guy coaches in the NFL <laughs> Kevin Stefanski is distinctive with the salt and pepper beard that was clearly him and Josh McDaniels I knew it was Josh McDaniels right away some of the guys I, I didn't know, like Matt Eberflus, I really had to think, and I had to, I had to, you know, and then the, the whole Jonathan Gannon and Shane Steichen, I think they're the same guy and they're the same nondescript guy. Like, yeah, there were some that 
because we haven't see, even seen them in coaching gear yet for their current teams, it's hard. But McDaniels and Stefanski should not have been difficult. So I'm, I'm yeah. throwing the challenge flag on the Travis Kelsey excuse making. Uh, I mean, it is hard when, you know, you're looking at a camera and then you're looking down at the laptop and then sometimes things don't get, you know, processed the way that they could. But yeah, I, I don't know why he couldn't recognize McDaniels or Stefanski. This is hometown team. Cleveland Browns, man. Come on, Travis. Hey, shout out to Travis. Though. He and uh, his mom were throwing out the first pitch at the Guardians game today, home opener in Cleveland. Oh, wow. So shout wow. out to them. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I also saw and Don, the, did you see Donna's the, jersey going into the Hall of Fame? Yeah. Is that what you're yes. going to say? Yeah. yeah. Cut you the off combo there, jersey huh? is exactly what I was going to say, but that's all right. That's fine. Now, how do they do? How do you do two people with the, do they both throw the ball at the same time? Are there two catchers? I guess that's how they've done it. I guess I've seen that yeah. before. Um, yeah, I, I would yeah, assume that that, so. that would be what it is, yes. All right, uh, Trey Lance, 49ers quarterback. 49ers lost to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl a few years ago trying to get over that hump. Trey Lance was the guy that they went all in to get a couple of years ago. He's been working out with Patrick Mahomes, which I think anything you can do with Patrick Mahomes is positive. Be around oh, yeah. him, learn from him glean anything you can we still don't know what trey lance can do he finally had his moment last year and he suffered a broken ankle in week two of the regular season so we don't know if he can play we don't know if he can stay healthy it's been a bad situation for him i feel bad for him because there's enough pressure if you're the third overall pick you throw on top of it everything the 49ers did to go get you and now he's fallen behind Brock Purdy. I mean, Brock Purdy would be the clear-cut number one quarterback of the 49ers right now if he hadn't suffered the elbow injury. The only thing that's giving Lance a chance. And I saw one of the sports books has Lance as the slim favorite to take the first snap week one as quarterback of the 49ers over Sam Darnold, over Brock Purdy. I still think, though, the way the depth chart shakes out if everyone's healthy right now is Purdy, Darnold, Lance. And Lance is the one who's got to prove himself, and if he doesn't get a chance to play, how does he prove himself? Oh, I, don't know if, I don't know if I would put Sam Darnold ahead of Trey Lance. God, at least I hope not for Trey Lance's sake. Good Lord. I mean, sorry, Sam Darnold. I mean, that, but that, that's not something that I would want to slip behind the depth chart to a Sam Darnold. I mean, the, the problem is you just don't know if Brock Purdy is going to be healthy or not. And that was one of the things that Kyle Shanahan was talking about last week when I was uh, sitting with him at that coach's availability on Tuesday for the NFC. It, it was basically that we know what Brock Purdy can do because Brock Purdy's done it on the field. So it's going to be much harder for Trey Lance to then come in and take that role and keep it if it just so happens that Brock Purdy is not healthy for the start of the season because we haven't seen Trey Lance do it on the field. And, I mean, like you said, I I also kind of feel badly for Trey Lance because we have no idea what Trey Lance was going to turn into last year if he'd been able to play, if he had been able to stay healthy. It just so happened that, I mean, in week two, he gets hurt, and then he's done for the year. So we could have been talking about Trey Lance as one of those guys that is really up and coming and is really ascending, but we just don't know what he's capable of. And the other part of the problem, Mike, is that this is a guy that just has not played much football at all since 2019 because he basically didn't have a season in 2020. He played one game because of the pandemic, right? And then you go into 2021 and yeah, you're a first round pick, but he didn't play much then either. And then he gets hurt in 2022. So the lack of playing experience and just being on the field for that long, that's going to affect you in some way. What way? I don't know. But there's a lot that Trey Lance is going to have to do in the offseason program where he's going to get a lot of the reps, but apparently he's going to kind of split him with Sam Darnold. And then depending on when Brock Purdy is healthy, he'll also have some time in training camp, presumably. I, I, I don't know where his career is going to go from here. And it's so much pressure. And look, the other side of the coin is, hey, if you can't handle this pressure, you're never going to handle the pressure of a big playoff game or a big spot in prime time or a Super Bowl if you can't handle the pressure of competing internally. But the problem is you don't get real opportunities to improve as a quarterback. If you're not on the field, you can't get on the field because they, it just for whatever reason, it hasn't worked out. And there's yeah. been a lot of chatter in recent days about something that Sims was all over at the time it happened, that Mac Jones was the guy that Kyle Shanahan wanted when they traded up number three, but someone in the organization talked him into Trey Lance. And now we've got the Mac Jones questions. We've got the Lance questions. I joked at one point this week with Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston, why not just trade Mac Jones for Trey Lance straight up? 
who would say no to that deal? No. Maybe Bill Belichick <laughs> would welcome it, and and maybe maybe Kyle Shanahan would welcome bringing Mac Jones. But it's running that offense. That's why he loves Brock Purdy. One of the reasons he runs that offense. You don't have to be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes to run that offense. They just haven't been able to get anybody who can stay consistently healthy. That's been the cruel irony. It's like they're cursed. Sims and I joke about that all the time. The 49ers are cursed at the quarterback position, and it feels like it's going to continue. All right, let's uh, take a break. When we return, the Jets have acquired the rights to a former Packers quarterback. Finally. But not the one. Not the one that we've been waiting for. We'll discuss that next year on PFT. Yes, the Jets have acquired a former Packers quarterback. It is not, however. Oh, wait, before we get to that, Robert Sala. Guns out, sun's out. Man, that guy is Jack. That guy's yoke. As they would say, uh, he, he, well, I, not that I ever doubted it. I mean, we see him running the stairs as part of his pregame ritual. Is he actually at Augusta? Is he at Augusta? I guess he is. I don't know. Well, I, mean, oh, no, I don't okay. know what okay. would he shoot at Augusta? No. I don't know. It says here Jets tweeting out this thirst trap in honor of Masters Week. That's fun. <laughs> That's kind of like mixing your themes completely thirst trap and masters are two things that would would not not go together of course i didn't even know what the term was until tom brady did it in his underwear a couple of weeks ago i'd never even heard the term thirst trap because i'm old and i'm out of touch all right let's get to it it wasn't robert sala on the golf course announcing that they finally acquired aaron Rodgers. that was just the preliminary they have signed a former packers quarterback tim boyle is now on the depth chart in New York as we continue to wait for the Aaron Rodgers deal to get done. Now, Tim Boyle knows the offense, knows the Nathaniel Hackett offense, two years in Green Bay when Hackett was the offensive coordinator, so it makes sense. Tim Boyle was with the Lions for most of the last two seasons, signed by the Bears off the practice squad in late 2022. Zach Wilson, Chris Streveler, Tim Boyle for now. I have a feeling Streveler is going to be odd man out by the time it's all said and done. Once Aaron Rodgers arrives, Aaron Rodgers takes over and – uh, Miles, I, it's just a matter of time. I, I, we had some fun earlier this week with Craig Carton suggesting that the 49ers could get involved. And I guess Carton's radio partner, WFAN, said to him on the air, you're being used by, by the Packers to get the Jets nervous because here you are in the New York market and to get the Jets to pull the trigger on this trade before they trade him to somebody else, as if they would. I mean, Rodgers has said who he wants to play for. Even though he used the word intention and intentions can change, I can't imagine Rodgers pivoting back to the 49ers, and I don't think the Packers want to put him on the 49ers. So I think this gets done, Miles, possibly when the Jets are on the clock with one of their two second-round picks three weeks from tonight. That's the ultimate deadline. That's when the chariot turns into the pumpkin. If you're going to have a second-round pick in this year's draft as part of the package, and that's the one thing I think they agree on, second-round pick, this year, the question is, what's it going to be in 24? And what protection will the Jets have in 25 in the event that Aaron Rodgers only plays one season? Do they get something back from the Packers in 25 if he doesn't play in 24? They just have to work that out. And why would you land the plane prematurely? If you move to your bottom line position before that pick is on the clock, there's a chance you're going to get squeezed off of it. The, the two circles of the Venn diagram need to kiss right at the moment that it's time for the Packers to step into one of those two second-round picks the Jets have, and they're consecutive. They picked up the Browns' second-rounder mm-hmm. with the Elijah Moore trade. They have back-to-back picks in round two. I think the deal gets done when the first of those two picks goes on the clock. Yeah, and I frankly, I think that makes sense. Is You know, you continued your good day of you know, strong metaphors and analogies with the whole Jets and landing the plane there. I see what you did. So, look, it, there's no urgency right now. I mean, we're about to have Easter weekend. Nobody really wants, I think, to get this trade done right now when, you know, you have a holiday weekend. So it's well, one of those I don't, things oh, whoa, whoa, time out, time out, what? time out. It was 13 years ago on Easter Sunday when all of a sudden, all of a sudden it was time for everyone who covers the NFL to mobilize because they traded Donovan McNabb from Philadelphia to Washington on Easter Sunday. Uh, so maybe wow. history repeats itself at about 4 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. Maybe we need to have one eye on New York and Green Bay on Sunday. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. But that I did happen. Was, yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't remember that. So that's a good pull by you. You know, I guess I kind of didn't really live through that because I was still in like grade school and not high school, you know, grade school. I, I, I was, I was in high school then actually now as I think about it. But either way, 
we'll see when this happens, when there's some urgency. There's no real deadline right now. So it's either going to be when we least expect it, or like you said, on that Friday night, when the Jets have back-to-back picks, I think it's 42 and 43 overall, that that would make sense for when the trade gets done because that's when the Packers could then get on the clock and choose who they want to choose. So there's just it, deadlines per action. There's no real deadline right now. Aaron Rodgers intends to play for the Jets. The Jets intend for Aaron Rodgers to play for them. It's only a matter of time when that's going to happen. So I, I guess we'll see. Yeah, and I, I really do believe it will be. And look how close we are now. And And I remember when, before we had Aaron Rodgers come out on Pat McAfee's show and say it's his intention to play for the Jets. It was leaning that way. Trey Wingo. And it's funny, Trey, I, I don't want to, I don't want to start any more oh, issues than I already have with people, but, but I mean, he said the deal's done and it's four weeks later and it's still not done. And he did a victory lap when Aaron Rodgers said he intends to play for the Jets. He did a victory lap over something that still hasn't been proven right. It will be proven right. But to say the deal was done, on the Monday before Aaron Rodgers says it's his intention to play for the Jets, but the Packers are dragging their feet, and three weeks and two days later, the deal still isn't done. The, he wasn't right. It's, I just think that's, 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 that's chutzpah, baby. That's nerve to come out and do your victory lap before you've actually won the race. So uh, well done there. I'm, I'm, I'm not hating. I'm appreciating. But uh, what was my point? Oh, before any of that happened, what – what we had heard was the Packers are content to wait until the draft. And, you know, it's like, oh, that's, that's six weeks away. Well, we're already more than halfway there. And at this point, that's the only reason that they would be waiting is to get to the draft. Everybody knows it's going to happen. Get to the draft, get it done, and move on. So, and, and really, if it happens during the second round of the draft, it won't be a surprise. Maybe they work it out. In that 18 hours or so between the end of round one and the start of round two, maybe they work it out then. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, the other thing, too, before we take a break, because we need to, one of the basic draft philosophies is never acquire a pick if you're moving up or moving in. Never acquire that pick until it's on the clock. Because if you get it early, then that's when others start trying to guess what you're going to do and consider jumping you. So just as a basic rule of draft mechanics, if you're the Packers, you don't want that pick until it's on the clock, period. You don't want to do it in advance. Even if everybody knows you're going to do it, you don't want to do it in advance. So that's another reason for us to say it'll happen during the draft on on Friday night, three weeks from tonight. Yeah, that's a really good point, Mike, because it, it. If the Packers do that and, you know, you know, whether it's 42 or 43, then you understand that, okay, here's the positions that they could be targeting. And, you know, it could be anybody, right. That wants to then say, all right, I'm going to go up to 39 to make sure that I get the player that I want that I think could also potentially fit what the Packers do. So I, I think that's a really good point by you. All right, let's go ahead and take a break on that. I will take that and run with it. Yeah. I will not question it. I will appreciate it. Don't hate, appreciate. Uh All right, let's take a break. Uh, Because the Clippers have now beaten the Lakers 11 straight times and turned around what once was a lopsided rivalry, we're going to, I don't know. I'm going to look it up during the break. We're going to have a draft of rivalries we would like to see reversed. More PFT Live right after this. Friday edition of PFT Live. So, as we mentioned, and the sport is professional basketball, the Clippers have beaten the Lakers 11 straight games. We would like to see that rivalry flip back to when the Lakers owned the Clippers. At least some would. Lakers fans would. Today's draft, in honor of the fact that the Clippers now own the Lakers, rivalries we would like to see reversed. And I've already tipped my hand that I may be going off the board with some of these and not restricting it to actual NFL rivalries. Miles, I'll give you the first pick. All right. Well, thank you. I I will at least start with the NFL and let's go with the Bears Packers rivalry. And this one actually is time probably to be flipped because Aaron Rodgers is no longer going to be in that division. So if you subscribe to the theory that Aaron Rodgers owns the Bears, then the Bears are going to be under new management, right? That's also great. But I was looking at the number Aaron Rodgers, 24 and five against the Bears as a Packers quarterback, 24 and five. The Bears haven't beaten the Packers since 2018. Only three wins against the Packers since the start of 2011. It's nuts. 
So I would love to see if like J- Justin Fields and Jordan Love, maybe they can have an actual rivalry or if Justin Fields comes out and he starts dominating the Packers for years and years to come. That would also be fun for the Bears fans that are in Chicago. I was going to go Bears Packers, but that is the obvious one because of the whole Aaron Rodgers, I own you. We actually had that in a draft earlier this week. Some of the best taunts in NFL history was the Aaron Rodgers championship belt and I effing own you being yelled at the fans at Soldier Field who had been giving him the business verbally. I'll go with one that has kind of begun to shift, but it hasn't shifted yet. And it hasn't become as cockeyed as it used to be. The Pittsburgh Steelers and your Cleveland Browns. And this is one that goes back pre-Ravens moving to Baltimore and becoming the Ravens when they were the Browns, even though it still is the Browns franchise. I know Miles loves to hear that. But the Steelers have owned the Browns forever. Forever the Steelers have had the upper hand in that series. This decade it is four to three Steelers, even though the Browns arguably have been the better team and it could be on the cusp of changing dramatically if Deshaun Watson becomes what the Browns need him to become. But I'm looking at the decades of the 2010s, 16-3-1 were the Steelers. The prior decade, 18-3, the Steelers against the Cleveland Browns. That one is one that needs to change. The needle needs to flip the other way to make it not so, like every time that the, and when the Browns win, like there's some, some historical outcomes that were like holy crap 1989 the Browns won week one 51 to nothing in Pittsburgh but usually it's the Steelers over the Browns a very close rivalry don't even have to fly it's a quick drive great great should be a better rivalry than it's been that's one that I would like to see every game be a great close tough contest no that's because the real rivalry moved to Baltimore when they took my franchise birthright away so that's why the Ravens and Steelers have a great rivalry and the Steelers dominated the Ravens for most of my you know the lifetime that I can remember when I was growing up so that one that one stings um but we can move on to my next pick which would be let's say the Chiefs and the Broncos because this one has just been absolute dominance since Peyton Manning's uh, last year. The Chiefs have beaten the Broncos 15 straight times dating back to 2015. That's crazy. And they have not really been all that close. Uh, I mean, there have been some close games in the Mahomes era. I mean, Jerry Rossberg, the sheriff, came in last year at the end of the season and said, we've got to be better and we've got to beat the Chiefs, even though he was the interim coach. And they played the Chiefs competitively, but the Chiefs still won. So... I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not Sean Payton can really influence and affect that rivalry and make it a rivalry again, because right now it absolutely is not one. You could basically pick the Chiefs in any team other than the Bengals right now and say it would be time for that rivalry to flip. Like Chiefs Raiders, Mm -hmm. Chiefs Raiders was one of the first rivalries I became aware of. Dallas Washington and Chiefs Raiders were the two rivalries that I like when I was a kid and and first following football. Those just stood out. Those were the great rivalries. So here's where I go off the board. Since basketball brought us here, I do have to to give a nod to. One of the great, like, it was like fun moments when I was a kid. I was a big fan of the Harlem Globetrotters. Whenever they were on ABC's Wild World of Sports, which they would land on from time to time, they had a Saturday morning show. They would come to town. My dad took me to see them multiple times. They'd have the bucket of confetti and then inevitably the bucket of water when everybody thought it was confetti again. The Globetrotters and the poor Washington Generals. Can't the, And I think the Generals, I haven't looked up the, the, the record. I think, like, there was a fluke night once upon a time where the Generals won but but it wouldn't it the show be better if the game was somewhat competitive between the Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington Generals? They just run roughshod over them every single game. So just once in a while. I, we still want to see the Globetrotters win when we go, but it would be nice for the Generals to get off the mat every once in a while. All right, we got one more round. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. Some quick research that was conducted during the break. The reports vary. Some say that the Washington Generals have beaten the Globetrotters six times. Others say three times in 1954, 1958, and 1971. And playing as the New Jersey Reds on January 5, 1971 in Martin, Tennessee, the Generals slash Reds won the game 199, ending a 2,495 game losing streak. (laughs) So there, there has been hope. 
for all those Washington Generals fans out there, lightning can strike once in a while. All right, Miles, give me one more pick of rivalries you would like to see flipped. All right, I'll stick with the NFL. I'll go Rams 49ers because yeah, I know that the Rams got the one that really counted in the NFC Championship game last year. But come on, man. They haven't won a regular season game against the San Francisco 49ers since 2018, which is the last year that I worked there. It's time to flip that thing, Rams. Let's go. Let's get a regular season win this year. I don't know if they're going to do that. All right. Uh I, I have to stay off the board. I'm going way off the board. This goes back to my childhood. This is a cartoon that I used to love and still love. Miles has probably never seen it. But one of these days, the coyote needs to beat the roadrunner. The coyote can't oh, have his meet, face meet. blown off every time or land. Oh, there it is. Uh, there's the <laughs> <laughs> Well done. Well done. Uh, oh, yeah. a, the that's poor coyote, Wiley Coyote, super genius, can never get the roadrunner. And I think that all came up a few years ago because we were calling Kyler Murray the roadrunner because basically oh, that, yes. that, that, that just meep meep and, and off he went. So the roadrunner was never uh, caught by that. Of course, that, that's a rivalry that if the coyote ever wins, it's over because he's going to kill and eat the roadrunner. So, <laughs> oh, you know, at least geez. at least when the roadrunner wins, you live to play another day. So <laughs> maybe maybe I've just answered my question. All right, Miles, thanks for getting up extra early. You're allowed to go back to bed if you choose to do so. Everybody else out there, happy Easter if you celebrate the holiday. Otherwise, we'll see you back here bright and early on Monday morning unless my house burns down, which continues to be a distinct possibility. Have a great weekend. See you real soon. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips, and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.